Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. At ako si Carl. This is episode 40 and we're reviewing Trece. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode, so you've been warned. This is kind of a special episode because we're not really reviewing an anime per se. It's up for contention <laughs> at the very least. I think if it's not on Mal, it's not an anime as much as we would like it to be. Kind of like Avatar. Yeah, although I know with Netflix, they've been touting this as a Netflix original anime series. But as I said, that might be up for a debate to a lot of the anime purists out there. Um, at the very least, though, it is the first Filipino animated series, at least um, on a worldwide level. So... That's pretty interesting. And, you know, maybe there's a little bit of cultural bias, but obviously I was very excited to be able to watch this when it released last week. Um, why don't you tell everyone why why there's a little bit of cultural bias? Because I'm Filipino. <laughs> <laughs> and I, too, am Filipino, half Filipino. So, yes, there is bias there. Yeah. Um, and in that regard, you know, we've seen several cultural mythologies explored again i know it's this is up for debate but we've seen different mythologies explored in the medium of anime we saw a bit of norse mythology and things like vinland saga you could say we saw egyptian mythology and jojo and obviously with anime being from japan there's a lot of japanese folklore and mythology incorporated into the different anime series but I would say this is a first for uh, Filipino mythology, which, you know, growing up and hearing stories from my parents and my uh, relatives, Filipino mythology is just rich in folklore and supernatural legends and creatures, which I think makes it the perfect subject for a dark fantasy slash horror series, as well as, you know, just being a spotlight for a part of the world you typically don't see in anime or animated shows. I feel like to your earlier point most of the countries or cultures that are explored in anime are usually um obviously japan um some european countries um and then the u.s there's not really much explored outside of that except for of course what you called out in, in jojo where they they have a lot of the the show set in egypt for one of the seasons so it is kind of cool to see something um that's filipino based although in anime at least off the top of my head i can't call recall anything that I guess either takes place in the Philippines or has a focal point on Filipino culture. Yeah, so this is one obviously that's um, very significant. And I guess while we're on the topic, I was kind of curious if, you know, as you've mentioned, and as most of you might have heard in all of, most of our episodes, Courtney is of half Filipino heritage. So I was wondering if you have any stories from like your childhood that you know about any like Filipino folklore or mythology that you'd like to share? Um, like mythology, no. So I'm still kind of learning about, you know, all of these Filipino demons and, and shit, the, the Aswang <laughs> and the, the whatever the fuck they are. Um, I know them mostly through you, um, you and mm. your family. But in terms of like... So if for anyone who's not familiar, Filipinos are very superstitious. Very. Like, very. 
superstitious. So one of the the superstitions that is a, a forefront in my mind um, is the superstition passed on to me by my grandma who would yell at us if we went to bed with our hair wet because the superstition is you'll go blind if you mm. go to bed with your hair wet. Um, granted, even as a kid, I kind of knew that one was a, a bit reaching. So I still went to bed with my hair wet and I can see just fine, guys. But it's things like that. There are some very, very strange, um, I don't know if you call them customs or just superstitions that exist in the Philippines. Yeah, I've heard other weird ones like you're not supposed to clip your nails at night or, or sweep at night. Or, or if you leave someone's home in the middle of their dinner, you have to rotate all of the dinner plates. Like, I don't know if it's like halfway or a full like 360. That really? was one that was, yeah, that was one that my, my grandpa um, had told us. One time he, I remember he was like at our house and he left halfway through our, our meal because he had just stopped by. And he's like, turn your plates. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's new to me. Or I think, um, I don't know if it's every new year or if it was just for the millennium, or the new millennium or whatever the fuck I'm, t- I'm trying to say here. But um, we had to tape quarters above all the doors and windows leading to the exterior of the house so that you would be protected from, or no, I'm sorry. Those were to bring good fortune. And yeah. then you also had to tape, what is it? Like the little... Um, the little like charm no the little oh. charm that has like mary on it mother mary you had to mm-hmm. i don't know if anyone knows what those are but sometimes you you know people have them on necklaces and stuff but you had to tape those above the doors and windows leading to the exterior of the house as well to protect your home from like intruders and things like that so for the longest time people would come over and be like why is there a quarter taped above your your doors and windows and i'd be like don't worry about it just don't worry about it yeah my family would do that and also i think uh, around new year's they would I remember those one year they taped like grapes up above the doorways too. And I think that was also supposed to sing- signal good fortune for the coming year, but they never took them down. So they <laughs> rot up there? Yeah, they oh just turned into God. like these disgusting raisins. Oh my God. And they <laughs> I probably don't know. like stained your walls too. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. But I think yeah, eventually they took them down, but they were up there for quite some time. Oh my God. That's, um, that's nasty. <laughs> yeah. But I guess uh, in my own experience, um, yeah, I grew up with a lot of these superstitions and in terms of like supernatural things, I don't think every anything weird ever happened to me personally. Um I know that my sister mentioned like when she was younger that when she had gone to the Philippines with my parents um before I was born, she had been kicking a tree just for the fun of it. And then the next day she got a high fever. And my parents attributed that to, you know, like you were disturbing the the home of the duende or like these dwarfs that live in trees. Oh, yeah. That's another one I've heard about from, from your family. Yeah. And like it's funny because, you know, growing up with um, knowing that uh, legend or yeah, urban, yeah, urban legend or myth, like you see that from the get-go in this show. And I guess one thing that kind of happened to me personally was when I first went to the Philippines when I was younger – I remember my family had visited um, the cemetery where my grandfather was buried in their hometown in the Philippines. And I want to say it was like around sunset, but I remember seeing out in the distance, there was like a weird figure of like a white lady. White lady! (laughs) And to give context to those of you who are not familiar with that legend, I'm not talking about like a Caucasian lady, but there's a, a legend in the Philippines of like a white lady, which is basically this 
ghostly apparition of this female who's all white yeah her skin her hair her clothing everything's white yeah um and so it's like a there are several different stories surrounding that legend um so no one's really sure like what which story like was the original one but again seeing that in the show here it just brings me back to and hearing these tales from from my family so well, one of them, um, you know, speaking again on the, the superstitions, one of them is in the first episode of Trace, right? The Tabi Tabi Po. Yeah, so that's the again the the dwarves or the duende. I think that character here is called Nuno, in reference to Nuno Sapunso, which is like, I guess the dwarf that lives in a mound. Although here he comes out of like the the sewers. <laughs> and the, the the manhole cover stays on his head the whole time. Yeah, so they take a spin on these mythological creatures by kind of putting them in um, real life situations and um, real life locations or landmarks so it's very interesting how they wait but you got to explain what tabi tabi po is though okay because <laughs> yeah. no one if you're not filipino or you're not familiar you're not going to know what it is yeah and you whoever's on twitter you might have seen the hashtag tabi tabi po going around when um this when Tracy first released on netflix so you're supposed to say tabi tabi po, which is kind of like, pardon me or excuse me, anytime you are within the vicinity of like a tree or any sort of like natural landmark similar to that. Again, because you don't want to disturb whatever creatures or when they are dwarves are living inside that tree for fear of like, if you don't say it, they get angry and then they, they curse you or something, which is again, what happened with my sister um because she had gotten a fever that next day after disturbing the peace of a tree (laughs) um so yeah i know in the trailer for this um that was a line that was said in tagalog in both the english and the filipino dub um so nice of them to highlight that there and kind of highlighting that as well um i want to say that our cardinal rule regarding dubs was really put to the test um when watching the show because the show is available with English audio, which I think was tempting because Steve Blum, um, who you might know as the voice of Spike Spiegel. Oh, yeah, Steve Blum. Is a featured voice actor in the series um, alongside like the predominantly Filipino-American cast. Um, I know Shay Mitchell was the English VA for Alexander Trezzi herself. Um, I listened to a little bit of the dub or the english dub and she, i i would say she does an okay job though it feels kind of stilted and uninspiring kind of like lakeith stanfield's voice um voiceover for yasuke but to be fair the yasuke one was like way worse mm-hmm. i only caught a little bit of it when you're watching it and i'm like wow that's that's bad yeah. <laughs> that does not do yasuke justice yeah so i guess i guess in this case it's a little bit more bearable but you know again with me being a Filipino heritage and growing up listening to the language, there are a lot of weird pronunciations of certain Filipino words. But I will say that Steve Blum, he puts in the effort to do a like an imitation of the Filipino accent as best as he can. So that's good. But we resorted to watching the show in Filipino to remain faithful to the source material. And the voice actor for... Treze in the Filipino dub, Liza Soberano. I think she is a much stronger voice casting for Alexandra and really embodies that character well. Because she's from the Philippines, right? 
No, she actually, I think she grew up in America, but later on in her childhood or in her teenage years, she moved to the Philippines. Oh, interesting. Because I know like a lot of young Filipino Americans kind of want to follow that path because, you know, you can, you can become a star easily in the Philippines, apparently, if you're (laughs) of mixed blood. Um, And then there was the Japanese dub, which I was kind of curious to listen to, but you know, I didn't think we had time for that, but we did watch a like a snippet of it, or we watched yeah. the trailer with the Japanese dub, and I thought it was pretty solid. I don't, I don't recall um, if there are any like notable VAs in it, but mm-hmm. um, just from like hearing it really quick, I thought it would it would have been a good option. Yeah, so that's out there if any of you really want to remain anime purists. And the last audio dub that I noticed was Spanish, so it's English, Filipino, Japanese, and Spanish which is kind of random, but I, I noted that there was an internet meme that points out that all the available dubs are in languages of countries that colonized the Philippines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. you got like, yeah, the Spanish were the first um, to colonize the country. Then the Japanese came in in World War II. And I guess English-wise, you know, America was also considered like a uh, colonizer of the Philippines. So it's a little bit of history for you there. But... All that rambling aside, what did you think of Treze, the anime or anime-influenced series? So I enjoyed it. Um, I think that, no surprise here, it disappoints in terms of delivery. I think story-wise, I get why Netflix wanted to pick this up. Because I I didn't expect to, but I, I left this six-episode show actually really interested in the lore, um, wanting to learn more about the folklore in general from the viewpoint of like this show, like a more, to your point earlier, a more modern take on Filipino folklore. Um, And the characters, I think not all of them are exciting. Some of them are pretty one note, but um, uh, many of the characters um, I at least found, you know, endearing or um, characters I I was interested in watching. Um, So there's, there's more that I'm curious to see. Plus they kind of dropped that hint, which I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit at the end of the the series of maybe another antagonist that Trice could go up against if maybe there's a season two. Um, I also want to call out the, um, actually, before I do that, uh, I did find it fun, again, to kind of go back to the folklore. It's fun to see that folklore shown in a new way where it's embedded in this world that's not only modern, but where people aren't as surprised by the supernatural. It's not like, you know, we're Mm -hmm. trying to keep it secret and only the elite few who understand this other world, um, you know, are aware of it and they try to keep the the general public out of it. It seems like for the most part, the general public is aware that these creatures exist in their world. They just mind their own business, maybe. (laughs) They don't interact with them very often. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I thought that was a cool way to kind of spin how folklore is woven within this world. So the other thing I wanted to call out, though, is the animation. Um, It's not anime it's not sakuga right like so mm-hmm. that aside i'm not i'm not comparing it to that because at the end at the end of the day i don't think this truly is an anime so i'm i'm not looking at it in that lens but the animation for what it is is slightly off-putting to me um like on the surface it looks like something similar to like a, a dc animated series or a mm-hmm. marvel animated series and that's totally fine but when it comes to the actual the actual motion of the animation I didn't know how I felt about it. Like when there's a lot of motion, a lot of action happening on screen, it looks fine. 
But when the characters are talking or moving slowly, it looks more like a fan-made Flash movie or something. Like, like it's missing frames. Like, it's like five frames per minute or something. If that's the best way I can describe it, it just seems very choppy. Like, something I'd find mm-hmm. on from like a good animator back on like Newgrounds or something. That's what I imagine that as. If you remember, if anyone ventured on the Newgrounds when it was in its heyday, there was a lot of cool stuff on there. But yeah, so I, I think that was that was distracting, at least in the beginning. I got used to it eventually. Anyway, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I guess first and foremost, to kind of go off of your points regarding the animation, um, in the back of my head as I was watching this, I was always thinking like, should this really be classified as an anime? And I know there's probably certain arguments that can be made into what um, categorizes something as an anime, whether you want to be um, very literal, like it coming outside of Japan, or if it incorporates a lot of elements or traits of a typical anime series. But I guess in terms of animation style, as you said, this is more reminiscent to me of like a DC animated film. And it wasn't adapted by a Japanese studio. For whoever's interested, it's it was produced by Base Entertainment, which is actually based in Singapore, which is kind of strange. It's like it's a Singapore-based studio or production company producing a Filipino animated series that is influenced by Japanese animation. So I have to pose this question. I, I don't mean to cut you off. I still want to get your overall thoughts, but I have to pose this question. If Netflix, so well, Netflix did say it's an anime. If my anime list listed this as an anime, and if it was really truly presented as like an authentic anime, would you be convinced? Or would you look at this and be like, this isn't exactly anime? Like imagine mm. if someone presented Avatar to you. And for full disclosure, I've never seen Avatar. I just know that that whole argument about like, is it anime? Is it not? Like, no, it's not anime at the end of the day. I think we can all agree on that, even if it's tough to admit. But if someone presented Avatar to you and said, this is an anime, would you look at this and be like, no, it's not? Because I know we're kind of, we're toying with this idea of like, it's not considered an anime by anyone's standards, except for Netflix calling it that. But if the, if the reverse were to happen, what kind of reaction would we have? That's a good question. And again, this is my way of viewing it. I don't consider it right in any way, right or wrong. But I I would consider Avatar to be kind of categorized in like the anime genre because I think it's clear with their animation style that they're kind of going for that um, Japanese animation visual um, aesthetic. And... Story-wise, I think it's it's comparable to things you find in Shonen. Um, and I guess with Treze, it's hard to say, again, because at, animation-wise, it doesn't look like a typical anime out there. But I think content-wise and story-wise, it it's synonymous with other similar series like in the horror fantasy anime genre. Does See, that make sense? I, it does, but I would say that both Avatar and Trace are not anime um, because there's no real ties other than Japanese voice actors and who knows, maybe some Japanese individuals on the production team. There's no real tie back to Japan. Like anime at the end of the day, like I know that's translated, you know, it's, it's a translation of animation or a shortened translation of animation, but anime at the end of the day is at its core Japanese. You can't deny that. So if there's no connection um, or no affiliation with Japan for a production, to me, it's tough to call it anime, like truly call it anime. Mm. 
um, especially here with Trece, it's a Filipino story produced by a Singapore company, and the main dubs are English and, and Filipino. Japanese has felt kind of like a, a secondary dub um, alongside Spanish, probably. So in my mind, it's not an anime. And the reason I call this out, too, is because for anyone who's listened to um, our previous podcast episode for My Hero Academia, we took a moment at the beginning of that episode to kind of share as we always do, some some updates in the anime community. And Netflix came out with this slew of anime announcements recently during their, what is it, Geek? Something? Netflix Geeked Week. Yeah, Geeked Week. And um, we had this discussion about, you know, Netflix is, is eager to get into the anime game. They're, they're eager to get into the anime industry. But are they going about it the right way? Are they actually producing good quality stuff? Or are they just trying to pump out a bunch of anime that's short and, and not very good? looking at you, Yasuke, and we have the house husband um, in order to just enhance their anime catalog. So for them to come out and say, this is an original anime, I'm like, how serious are you, Netflix, about getting in the anime game? Because I feel like they still need to understand or better understand the anime industry and the anime community before they're able to really put out some good quality shit. So I'm just like, when I heard that they they called it an anime and then I saw the trailer, I was like, Man, Netflix, like you gotta, you gotta chill. Like it's okay to take it slow, and then you know really understand the game that you're getting into, so that you can win. Anyway, long story short, that's why I was curious to know what your reaction would be if the the roles or if the scenario was flipped and Trace was presented fully as like a real anime. I feel like some people would be like, "Well, hold your hold your horses. It's not a real anime." In that same vein, with I think we had a episode on Tower of God. And, you know, that's based on a Korean manhwa. Would you still consider that to be an anime? Yes, for two reasons. One, because the the main dub or the main whatever voiceover is Japanese. Um, And two, that was produced by an anime studio, right? Like a Japanese Mm. anime studio. So I don't have a problem with Japanese anime studios borrowing or using material from other cultures i think that's actually really cool to see that like if trace were were actually adapted through like mappa studios or something like mm-hmm. then it's definitely an anime and i'm sure it would kick ass because you know mappa's uh they're on top of all their shit right now but um when it, there's no real ties again here with japan and the actual anime industry i just find it to be a bit of a stretch to call it an anime so i think at least what i'm concluding to is you you kind of view it through a literal lens where I kind of view it through like a figurative lens in how to categorize something as an anime. I mean, literally, like I I can see what you're going. Like literally, if anime is animation, then yes, this is an animation. Mm -hmm. It's like saying that like an anime is a cartoon. Yes, it's literally a cartoon. Like the the definition of cartoon, I believe, is like, you know, drawn motion picture or whatever. Um, don't quote me on that. I'm not looking up Merriam-Webster dictionary shit. But um, yeah, so if you're, if you're taking it just at like the core of the word, sure. But there's more to it than that, you know, because it's not the animation industry, which is like, I think worldwide, it's the anime industry. That makes it a little more specific. Mm-hmm. Anyway, long tangent, but I think an interesting co- conversation, maybe a future conversation and future discussion episode for uh, strictly anime here. But going back to your overall thoughts before we dive into the actual episode. Yeah, that was a huge tangent. <laughs> it's a it's an interesting conversation and mm-hmm. I think one that that 
has a lot of debate in the anime industry, especially as we kind of see some of these different projects pop up. I think we're going to have this debate pop up more and more. Um, so yeah, I'd be interested in talking about it further, but what are your, besides the animation, what are your other thoughts on Tracy? I know we've kind of beat this to a dead horse, but <laughs> just to comment a little bit more on the animation style, again, with it being more reminiscent of the DC animated films, I thought like the background environments, especially seeing Manila at night, they were pretty vibrant and detailed as if they were featured in like an anime series. Um, Story-wise, I, again, I kind of see this being in line with something you would find in in an anime, in an anime series as well. Um, to your point earlier, if, if this were something that were produced by MAPPA, then I think that would just make this show even more terrific. Um, but I think, especially with this being a Netflix original, it kind of suffers from the same things that we've seen in other Netflix anime or anime influenced series, more so with like the episode count, which I still I don't understand why Netflix has this affinity for releasing things in like five or six episodes. They just want to pump out yeah. quick, short little things that are low quality, so again they can just expand their quote unquote anime catalog. That's, or yeah, that's my I was, all I'm going to say that that's my theory. Or just to see what sticks. So yeah. like maybe with enough hype generated around the show, that'll prompt Netflix to announce a season two, which. Again, a lot of people have been raving about this or it's been kind of trending on social media, so it, that might be the case. Um, but again, with that limited episode count, um, pacing becomes a huge issue. And we'll kind of dis probably discuss this more um, with the later episodes, but it just, as much as it, the show takes its time um, establishing the world in the first couple episodes and kind of leaning us into um what treze is all about at the end it kind of just shoves everything in your face oh my god yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like you just need a little bit of time to process like all the stuff that's all the info that's getting thrown at you but regardless it it still makes you excited for a season two but again if that is announced i hope that netflix can kind of slow their roll and give the production a little bit more time to to hone out their craft because i feel like these six episodes could have easily turned into 10 or like 13 like like a standard um anime rollout but yeah for whatever reason whether it was a creative decision or um limited budget we got six but they're an interesting six episodes as as we'll we'll discuss and on that note Let's begin our synopsis and discussion for the Netflix original anime series, <laughs> Asterisk Treze. So, Treze is a Philippine anime-influenced streaming television series based on the Filipino comic series of the same name by Budget Tan and Kajo Baldesimo. Produced by Base Entertainment, the series was released on June 10, 2021 on Netflix in the United States, followed by a global release the next day on June 11th. Set in the Philippine capital of Manila, where mythical creatures live in hiding amongst humans, the series follows healer warrior and paranormal investigator Alexandra Treze as she deals with an underground criminal world controlled by evil supernatural beings. In episode one, Manila, 
Manila, mm-hmm. you look like hell, Manila. As a public train line unsurprisingly breaks down on the city's elevated track, leaving its passengers to surprisingly get attacked by a bunch of demonic walkers. But before we can figure out what the fuck that shit was, we follow the reigning Lacan Babaylan slash human demon liaison, Alexandra Treze, across town as she investigates the mysterious death of a white lady specter while struggling to maintain the peace between the human world and the supernatural. Her duende dwarf informant Nuno and the emissary to Ibu, the goddess of death, point her to a corruption scandal involving the mayor of Manila, who has agreed to sacrifice his constituents uh, to a vampiric Aswan gang in exchange for some mermaid ganja, hence the unscheduled train stop in the intro. Alexandra frees the remaining constituents imprisoned at an abandoned hotel and gets rid of the Aswang scum and villainy, subsequently leading to the mayor's arrest. Alexandra rests up back at her base of operations, the Diabolical Bar, until police captain Guerrero phones her and she answers with, so what's the sitch? Really quickly, I, I just want to talk about um, Alexandra herself. I think she is a very suitable heroine for the series. Like, is a part detective, part demon slayer. She kind of gives me, like, slight Batman vibes, which I think is kind of the intention. Um, especially if you consider the police captain, Captain Guerrero, to be, like, her commissioner Gordon counterpart. Yeah, I agree. I think she's really cool just because she's so focused on, you know, her job, her role. Um, she's she's really smart, and I just like that. Regardless of what's going on, what's going on around her, she always maintains her cool. Like she's very level headed and pretty pretty straightforward and serious, but like not in an annoying way, like a, in a in a fitting way for her character. That's where I kind of find like a slight issue with her actually, because she is like a typical brooding protagonist in that sense too. Where I don't think like she really has a mentions any sort of like sense of humor does she even smile i don't think so (laughs) yeah like i know there are flashbacks to when she's younger and she's a little bit more like brash and um a little bit more outgoing i would say in her personality but you know once she's older it's she's not like cynical but just kind of emotionless at points yeah, she's very cold and calculated, but I think to me it makes sense given her backstory. Because mm-hmm. you're right, like she started off when she was a kid, she was happy go lucky. When she was a teenager, she still had her father around. So, you know, she, on a certain level, I guess, felt like she could be a teenager, but she was still at that point starting to become more cold and calculated. And then by the time she's an adult, everything she ever loved is gone. Um, mm-hmm. She's been through hell and back, you know, through that trial and everything. And now the weight of, you know, the weight of like, you know, the Manila, I don't know what you call it, like safety in Manila, right? And, and like order in Manila now rests on her shoulders without having her dad there to transition that fully. And like she's tasked with not only protecting people, but also trying to keep things, you know, keep everything peaceful between the different tribes. And she talks about that multiple times throughout the series, or at least this, this season, that, you know, it's very difficult for her. Like Mm -hmm. she doesn't know how her dad did that because she wasn't around with, you know, around with him long enough to kind of see it. And now she has to just kind of figure out as she goes. So it makes sense to me anyway, why she's like this. Plus if you listen to the podcast long enough, you know that I really enjoy um, character relationships that have a lot of dynamics. So in this case, her with the twins is like my favorite thing about this Mm -hmm. show. And I'll talk a little bit more about the twins as we get into the later episodes, but I enjoy 
their juxtaposition because they're so goofy and silly and she's not (laughs) yeah actually you bring up a good point without the twins it would kind of just make her a flat character but they they kind of spruce her up a bit they're the comic relief that we need in this show Mm -hmm. um just to comment a little bit more these are just fun facts i guess or a little trivia about um the character design for alexandra so i think the most significant thing is she has this triangular bang (laughs) in the middle of her forehead Mm mm-hmm and I was kind of looking into it, and that is supposed to emphasize the the forehead space around the bangs. Because if you notice, looking at a picture of her, it's supposed to resemble, like, devil horns. Oh, I did not know that. I just yeah. thought it was, like, an interesting, random way they designed her character. I mean, her it, hair. Yeah, it's more prominent in the comic version. It actually looks like her hairline's thinning or like receding. Yeah, I saw a picture of it. I do not like it. <laughs> yeah, so I think credits to the animators for kind of um, fixing, upgrading. <laughs> fixing <laughs> yeah. her hairline. Upgrading the design. Um, but yeah, that's just one piece of trivia to note. And her coat, which I thought was more of like... um. Chinese or Far Eastern influence in the design. Um, it's actually supposed to be inspired by the outfits of Jose Rizal, who is a national hero of the Philippines. Oh. So there you go. There you go. And to move on to what we typically talk about with anime, whether or not we can consider this an anime, um, the OP and the ED. So... For the OP, there is no title for the song as of this recording, although it is credited to the series composers, Kevin Kiner, and his sons, Sean and Dean Kiner. Um, for those of you who don't know, Kevin Kiner is actually a notable um, TV show composer. Um, for me, I know him as the composer for the music for Star Wars The Clone Wars TV series, and I didn't know this, but he is married to a Filipino, so his children are half Filipino, half Caucasian. Um, The song features lyrics from a traditional folk song from a Philippine tribe called the Ifugao. Um, That folk song is called the, I'm going to butcher this and I'm sorry, but it's called the Baluhad Bayauhen. um, And it's a song about a character's attempt to eat a fabled fruit called the Baluha. Um, I kind of like the song because it, it takes a modern spin on a traditional song and it has this nice percussion mixed in with these ethereal sounds. Um, visuals wise, it's like bloodstained vignettes set to a film noir filter, which is kind of fitting for the show that deals with like paranormal investigations. Um, and apparently they feature stylized versions of some of the panels from the comics. So uh, do you have... Any interesting notes about the OP? I love it. I think it's a perfect fit for this show. Um, the the song, the music, it's it's super eerie, but in like a very cool, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like it just, it feels like folklore, right? Mm-hmm. Which is kind of what it is based on what you just shared. Um, so it, it's just a great fit for this. Um, and I love the visuals in this OP. I didn't know that they were pulling some imagery from the comics so that's really cool to hear as well yeah but just like the the red white and black aesthetic um is because you like black (laughs) well besides (laughs) that it matches everything that's in the show because everything is really dark and there's a lot of blood so it just it it felt right for for this um for this animated series and yeah i think it was a good choice 
And moving on to the ED, um, the title for this is called Ba'agi by UDD, um, an acronym for Up, Dharma, Down. Uh, Ba'agi is actually a Bisaya word. So the dialect that is being spoken in the show is Tagalog, or people just call that Filipino. But the song title here is Bisaya or um, Cebuano. And the, that word is equivalent to, again, the tabi-tabi-po, which is the Tagalog phrase for, excuse me, when you're talking to the uh, duende. Um, yeah, I think reading up about this more, the band musical involvement in the show was actually a personal request by the creator of the Treze series, uh, Budget Tan. Um, so it's nice that Netflix kind of honored that request. Um, Visuals-wise, it's just the recaps of the episodes of the episode itself, so nothing special. Um, but audio-wise, this song reminds me of that um, first Yashahime um, ED because they have like this very slow lo-fi tempo feel to them. And that's a great song. That is a great mm-hmm. ED. <laughs> well, what did you think about the ED? I love the song. I think it's super chill. It's very modern, um, but you know, slow and and kind of. It's not brooding. What's the word I'm looking for? It's just like it's just chill, right? Lo-fi. It's yeah, it's lo-fi. Lo-fi beats to <laughs> kill demons. With <laughs> <laughs> the visuals, I yeah, they're just recaps of the episode, so I found that to be incredibly lazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they they only have six episodes. Just make something, some sort of visual for the ED. Don't recap an episode we just spent 20, 22 minutes watching. I just thought that was obnoxious. Actually, I'm trying to remember if Yasuke did the same thing. You know what? I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) I have to. I don't know if I'll go back to watch it. but Like that little detail makes me just feel more convinced that this is a rush job. Mm -hmm. It's just pumping out shit from Netflix and to again amplify their catalog um because i'm just like one of the easiest things is create one ed you can use across all six episodes and the ed is only a minute and a half probably i just mm-hmm. uh, yeah it just annoyed me and i i don't like again if you've listened to our podcast long enough you know i do not like recaps in anime whether it's a recap episode or recap at the beginning of an episode because i can just stream shit now i think it's useless so a recap of the episode that we literally just finished watching it's got to be like one of the most annoying things. Yeah. Because why would you need a recap of something you just watched? Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather they just pull more like still images from the comics. That would mm-hmm. be much, much more interesting. Yeah. Or like more true um, to the show. Yeah. Or stylized um, designs of the characters kind of like with Code Geass. Yeah. Anything. Anything. Yeah. <laughs> so it's fine. I mean, the song was great. So it was, it was nice to just like listen to. But I would just tune the rest of I, I wouldn't watch the ED because I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I already saw it. I already saw it. Yeah, and you know I would probably put these on my anime Spotify playlist or my anime anime influenced Spotify <laughs> playlist, but they don't exist on Spotify yet. I don't even think they've released the full versions, but fingers crossed that they will down the road. In terms of this first episode, um, to your earlier point, there's a lot, like a lot packed into this first episode it feels like they tried to pack two episodes worth of content into one episode um like i found it somewhat hard to to grasp the main plot of this six episode show in just this first episode because there was so much that they introduced 
I think that they probably should have focused on the mayor stuff. Like, definitely introduced that in episode one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, Trace's abilities and the creatures. And then introduced her backstory in the second episode. But they're trying to do three things. They're trying to world build with the abilities and the creatures. They're trying to set up the plot through the mayor stuff. And they're trying to set up the backstory all in one fucking episode. And I can't handle it. It was just so much. I kind of enjoyed the pilot episode. Um, I can see your your issues and qualms with it, um, but the way I viewed it, it, it feels like it was written in a way to to pitch the series to Netflix itself. The way I thought it, it had like this very balanced blend of the fantasy world building by highlighting some of the more prominent Filipino folklore. Again, the white lady of Balete Drive, or the the Nuno Sapunso. Um, who is the informant that gives Trece all his insider information. Um, I thought the exposition of Alexandra herself was sufficient. Um, It's kind of weird that it does jump between um, the present and then a random flashback. And I thought, like, the thing with the mayor was contained well enough where you can kind of see it from beginning to end. But I get had this show been given a couple episodes i could see it as a full arc to your to your earlier point and the other thing is i it had decent action set pieces throughout as well especially with the um aswang fight um, at the very end where it looks like the one of the aswang gang leaders did a naruto run right i think a couple people did a naruto run in this show Mm -hmm. and a a random thing sorry with that is for like (laughs) Anyone who noticed, uh, Alexandra grabs, we call it a walise, which is like a broom, and she uses that to attack, uh, or maybe it was an earlier fight, but she uses it to attack an assailant. I just thought it was funny that she grabs a walise. Again, to, the, to remind viewers that this is a show based in Filipino culture. Well, okay, so I, I agree with you. I think the, the content of this episode was really interesting. And again, this is I'll, I'll keep repeating this as we kind of go through this, um, this analysis, but it's like... The content is interesting. I want to know more. It's just I'm so overwhelmed because the mm-hmm. delivery is so poor. Um, so I, I think that's where the show really falters for me. But and in the, in episode one, I already felt incredibly overwhelmed. I'm like, I I would have rather have learned about one, maybe two of those things in the first episode and then saved some of the other things for like the next episode. Yeah. And again, I think I can, can see my own bias here because I'm – Again, being a Filipino er- heritage, I'm familiar with these creatures and with this folklore. So it kind of, I don't need that. Not that it's hand holding, but I don't need to be solely introduced to that. But to a viewer who's kind of just stepping into this for the first time without being too familiar with with the culture or the folklore, I can see how it it can be a, a lot um, at one in one viewing. And to your other point about the the Walis, what was it? Yeah, the Walis. Okay, my my Filipino accent's really bad. Um, I very much have a thick Chicago accent, but for that and some of the other little little things that kind of pop up throughout this show, I I have this like I'm kind of torn because I do feel like this is a rush job by Netflix, and some things are very lazy, but someone someone somewhere along the way really took the time to embed Filipino culture in this show and i don't know if it's because these things are in the source material so they were able to easily port it over or if someone on the production team was like we really need to have these little nods to the filipinos and their culture because 
the Walise is like a little a little bit there. Um, mm-hmm. There's a a cameo, I believe, in episode one. If you want to mention that, yeah, I was gonna say some of the eagle eagle eyed viewers out there might notice in the introduction um, with the train, where the train stops in front of a billboard. There is a distorted image of the mascot for the fast food establishment Jollibee that flashes on that billboard. Um, it, it I think it alternates between like a like a makeup thing and then there's a red screen with the the image of the mascot. It's I think it's distorted just because of copyright reasons, but um, it's a blink and you'll miss it thing. It's and, like a little Easter egg. Yeah. And then same thing with episode two, not to jump too far ahead, but just while we're on this topic, in episode two, we actually see one of the twins. So there's the two girls that they're talking to, and one of the twins um, sees them and wants the other twin to take notice. So instead of pointing with his fingers, he points with his lips. And that's very much a Filipino thing. They like to point (laughs) with their lips. Um, So that was another, like, these these little Easter eggs, this attention to detail makes me feel like somebody on the production team was really taking this seriously. And I very, very much appreciate that. It's kind of like for any of our, our Jojo fe- fellow Jojo fans out there, um, the attention to detail that David Productions has when making Jojo and all the little Easter eggs that they have there. As a true fan or as someone who's very familiar with the show or someone very familiar with Filipino culture, you you notice that and you appreciate it. And it just makes you feel like, you know, this production is a little a little higher quality than maybe some others, although mm. there are some other things in the show that completely refute that. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and I was just looking up bounds of trivia uh, on this series just because it was so interesting to me. Um, the production for the show was predominantly Filipino. Um, and I believe this first episode was directed by, yeah, directed by Jay Oliva. Who is a Filipino American um, animated director, writer, and producer? Um, he is actually known for directing the DC animated film a- adaptation of The Dark Knight Returns, um, which is one of my favorite DC animated films. So, no surprise that you know they want to incorporate as much of the culture as they like because. Again, most of the staff is Filipino that works on this. For them, it's second nature. Yeah. One quick note about this episode, and I think we'll kind of see this with every subsequent one. Um, you mentioned that, like, you know, the mythical creatures in here are kind of already incorporated into the society. So it's not like they're living in the shadows or people, only certain people know about them. Um, I think the creatures are also used as metaphors for human nature and behavior. Particularly with this episode, um, we see the Aswang, which are kind of like these, I guess the Philippine version of vampires. And I think the way that this episode tries to present them, besides that supernatural element, is they represent those people who would like prey on the poor or the weak or kind of use them as a means to whatever end they seek to achieve and you know i don't want to comment on like the politics of the philippines and what the mayor's role plays in this but you know i think it's just an interesting thing for the show to kind of and take this folklore but put it into a real world setting with 
these like real world topics um i guess the way i can you can kind of equate it is like the manila of this world is like the gotham city of the philippines so moving on to episode two in an introductory flashback alexandra's father anton the previous lakan babaylan lakan babaylan i'm sorry if i'm butchering the filipino words here but Anton investigates a string of murders wherein the victims are all ex-military from the same unit and presumes that they were killed at the hands of a female rebel, rebel leader named Ramona with a vengeance against her military transgressors. Back in the present, Treze enters initial demon mode as Alexandra looks into the disappearance of a drag racer in the midst of a race. Believing it to be linked to a centaur-like Tikbalang creature, she visits the Lord of the Tikbalang to receive the Bronco's blessing before she can investigate further. Later, Alexandra has a separate audience with Electricity Baron Bagion Lectro after determining his son's involvement in a series of electrocutions, but scoffs at her meddling in his affairs. Alexandra manages to settle things in a drag race with the Tikbalang Lord's son, Prince Maliksi, but not so much with Lectro's son, Kulimlim, who brings the thunder down on her until Nuno comes to the rescue and grounds the guy, no pun intended. Bagion Lectro interrupts Alexandra and her team's well-deserved but short-lived R&R the next day, warning her that there's a storm coming and she should probably pack an umbrella. How thoughtful of him. So, similar sentiment for episode two. A lot happens, but nothing really happens to... But not a lot happens. Yeah, my my catchphrase. (laughs) A lot happens, but not a lot happens. Um, But in this case, nothing really progresses the plot, maybe. Like, we're one-third of the way through this show, and I still don't know what the plot is by this point. Um, I don't know if it's just because I'm so overwhelmed with everything else that's being thrown at me that I'm not able to grasp the plot at this point, or if it's because they really haven't taken the time to lay that out. Um, But yeah, this episode, I think, is a good example of like them trying to pack two, maybe three episodes worth of content into one episode. Because as you shared in your synopsis, we've got two tribes that we're introduced to and two I don't know, like antagonists maybe, two baddies uh, to a certain degree. Although one of them ends up being Alexandra's ally towards the end. Correct, yeah. But it, it feels like what they're presenting us here is that um, that typical villain of the week formula. Yeah. But you're having you're, you're getting two villains, maybe more if I can't recall. Um, so at least two villains in one episode. So again, that makes me feel like this could have been two episodes, one dedicated to each of the, the villains or the antagonists but they're cramming it all into one episode. So I'll say it over and over again. This this is like a lot um, happening, and they really could have benefited from just doubling this up and making it a full 12-episode series. And that's that's really the only note I have about this because I, I didn't have much else to take away because, again, I, I didn't know what the plot was. Yeah, and I actually have similar sentiments about this episode. I would say that this is the weakest of the six just given like the confusing separate plot lines and you know there's a lot of lingering questions that i had especially in terms of um uh, prince maliksi so i know he kidnaps the the girl that w- was with the drag racer that disappears right yes and then nothing's really explained about the drag racer himself disappearing whether or not that was caused by the the prince but, you know, Alexandra kind of just forgives him at the end just because he gives back the girlfriend. Yeah. So, yeah <laughs> that was just a weird plot hole. And if there's anyone out there who wants to clarify that, um, please feel free to reach out to us on our social media or our email. Um, but I think, like, 
the point of this episode was to juxtaposition how Alexandra handles two cases of similar natures, although it's clear what approach she plans to take based on her interactions with the respective tribal heads. In this case, it's Senor Armanas, um, who was the Tikbang, which the Tikbang is a, like I said, it's a centaur-like creature, but it has the like, kind of the head of a horse and then like a backwards centaur yeah or actually yeah it's like if a horse were able to stand on its hind legs um is the best way to describe it and then bagyon electro who is kind of like the electro of this universe um and maliksi and kulimlim are just you know teenage rebels of the respective tribes rebels without a cause that are just looking for cheap thrills although the latter's excursions are comparatively a lot more sinister so yeah, I agree. Like, there's not a lot of stuff in this episode that seems fruitful. To your point, it felt like the the villain or the monster of the week. And you know, I I have never read the um, Treze comic series, so I don't know if that's the intent. If after watching this episode, the intention was to have like these one off cases that really didn't have an or- overarching story, and so that was my feeling going into this series after this episode is like oh are we just getting like these one-off cases every week or every episode because it's all released at the same time it's case of the week formula instead of villain of the week yeah um but as we go deeper into the season obviously that's not the case because these cases all connect in some way Um, i didn't understand why she killed the electric guy's son like yeah he attacked her but weren't there other people in the show that attacked her and she didn't straight up kill them yeah, that was kind of just... Um, and I'm sure she would know the consequences of her actions. If she's trying to keep the peace among the tribes, why would you just go and, like, fucking kill someone's kid? Well, was she trying to kill him? No. Or was she, was, like, it was acting in... Yeah. It was self-defense, but she went so far as to kill him pretty quickly, too. But I'm like, the, the horse dude attacked her, right, at the end of the race, and he, like, pissed at her for winning, and then he, like, kind of got aggressive with her. Oh, yeah. And she didn't, mm-hmm. like, kill him. I don't know. It's just, like... I, I get what they're trying to go for, but it just all happens so fast as everything does in the show where I was like, I don't understand why you chose to kill this one person, but you didn't want to kill any of like the killer babies from a later episode. But she didn't kill um, Gulim Lim. It was a, a, or the dwarf, Nuno, who ended up rescuing her, if you remember. Oh, wait, but then she threw the knife or like the, the her dagger or whatever. Yeah, she killed the electric guy. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> Plot hole. Um, the other thing I want to call out is, okay, so the twins, as I mentioned, um, are really great characters. They're honestly my favorite characters in, in the show. Um, what are their names? Basilio and Crispin? Crispin and Basilio. And I have notes on them, but not for the next episode, but you can keep going. Yeah. So when I heard Crispin, I was like, this is the first time I've heard that name since Crispin Freeman for... Those of you who are familiar, he's um, a pretty well-known English dub voice actor. He's worked on shit like Durarara, Haruhi Suzumi, <laughs> um, Demon Slayer, etc. So, like to me, that's a really rare name. And when I when I heard Crispin, I was like, oh shit, it's Crispin Freeman, guys. Well, I have trivia on that. Oh shit. Later on, but okay. <laughs> it's well, then... not what, not what you think. Okay. Um, but, but anyway, that's a good point. I really like Basilio and Crispin. I'll just refer to them as the twins. And in the first episode, they didn't really have any dialogue. I just thought they were just you know a couple of henchmen. And this is the episode where they start to shine a little bit. And I kind of like the way that they're slowly introduced in this show. 
because they're probably one of the only things in the show that has a slow rollout versus an information dump that we've been getting mm-hmm. right from the get-go. You don't know anything about them in episode one. Episode two, they pretty much don't have dialogue, but there's this quick moment where they're acknowledging the two hot chicks, whatever kind of creature they are. I can't remember. The they're wind like, ladies or something. Yeah, wind elementals is what they're described as. So they notice that, and you get that quick little you know, comic relief from them when they point with their lips and acknowledge those girls and all that fun stuff. And then as the episodes progress, you not only learn more about their personalities and that they're actually very goofy and funny, but you also get that slow roll in of their backstory as well and why they're so critical to the story. They're not just some some kids that became part of Trace's family. They're not just some hired bodyguards. They actually are a key part of the story. At the end, I'll, I'll kind of explain my sentiments on that because I don't feel like that went the full mile. Mm-hmm. But it is kind of nice to get that slow character build up because that's how you develop more um a better connection with a character mm-hmm. is not one like their entire being is dumped on you all in one episode you have time to get to know them yeah i just thought they were pure comic relief from the get-go in this episode but it's interesting how that takes a turn when i think right into the third episode when we find out a little bit more about their backstory and it's just funny that at the end of this episode um, Alexander says that um, they were a prize for the wind elementals uh, for helping out with the race. Oh, yeah. Didn't they bang or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seemingly. It was, it was implied, but <laughs> yeah. Nice little bit of comic relief there. Two more things, I guess, visuals-wise for this episode. The, the visual of Alexander's reflection in the elevator as she is going up to meet um, the Lord of the Dikbarang as she looks out towards the Manila skyline at night. I know it was like a very heavily used promotional image, but just watching that um, in real time is it's still just an amazing visual. And I think, you know, it's it's kind of like an homage to, you know, typical, very detailed background environments that you see in anime series. And I guess another visual note, although more on the negative side, is God, those CGI cars. Yeah. <laughs> Like it kind of pushing the initial D homages, but it, you know, we've always said that CGI never mixes well with traditional anime. And again, another lazy choice by Netflix, because when you're only pushing out a six episode series, you probably don't have time to animate cars. Mm -hmm. In episode three, in a follow up to the previous episode's flashback, it is revealed that Ramona is the mother of Alexandra's twin bodyguards, Crispin and Basilio whose younger versions assist her in a blood ritual to summon their father, Datu Talag Busao, who just happens to be the god of war. Upon the Datu's return, he requests a literal family breakfast as he shows his desire to devour his twin sons. Great start to a family reunion, if you ask me. Back in the present, Alexandra takes on her next case, involving a murdered dermatologist and her connection to a rising actress named Nova Aurora, both of whom fall victim to an unknown demonic assailant. Therese's team finds the culprit to be a Chanak, a feral goblin that was formerly Nova's abandoned child born out of wedlock. Nova ends up killing the monster herself, much to Alexandra's disgust, and she chastises Nova's protector, the mushroom duende Amang Paso, for not talking sense into this bitch, while he warns Alexandra about keeping her friends close and her enemies closer. Not to worry about Nova's crime going unpunished, though, as a bunch more demented baby Yodas visit her home the next evening to bring about the ironic downfall of the rising actress. 
So here I want to talk a little bit more about the twins, or they're called the kambal, which kambal is um, the word for twins in Tagalog. So their names, Crispin and Basilio. So Crispin is not a reference to Crispin Freeman, um, but they are references to two siblings of the same name in the novel Noli Mitangere, which is a revolutionary novel written, again, by the Filipino national hero Jose Rizal. And, you know, in my in my research about this series, it seems that the thirst for these twins is very strong on the Internet. I don't know if you've been reading some of the tweets. Oh, are people simping for them? Yeah. It's <laughs> like the, the opposite of how people have been simping for, like... Cute anime girls? Yeah, like Froppy or um, Ashido from, like, My Hero or something. They're, uh, they're the husbando material. <laughs> yes. And I kind of had to write this down for myself. So Crispin is the bodyguard with shorter hair and he has the mask of tragedy on so the, the sad mask and then basilio is the one with the longer hair with the mask of comedy or the smile um and i just thought you know it was an intriguing premise for the, the twins to have a dark past considering that they've served as this point of support and comic relief for alexandra this far in the series I mean, you get a brief hint of their godlike powers. If you notice in the previous episode, Gulim um, Lim like blasts them um, into the field and one of their arms falls off. But you see the arms slowly start to regenerate in the fight. So it's it's a small hint to their their godlike backgrounds. Uh, other than that, because we'll, I think we'll talk more about the significance of the twins in the series. Um, this episode felt very heavily metaphorical, um, and it feels like a commentary on the vanity of the showbiz industry in the Philippines. Which is pretty fucking vain. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, here, like, the the Chanak um, is the biggest representative of that because Nova's mushroom duende protector says, like, that the child out of wedlock would have destroyed her career. Um, and like Nachanak is just the physical manifestation of how this kind of heavily hangs over her soul, kind of like the price you pay for fame. And I think it just, you know, it de demonstrates the demonstrates the typical TV trope that, you know, sometimes the real monsters aren't monsters at all. So kind of falling back into those cliches. Um, other than that, the, again, for references to like, Filipino culture. There's an obvious reference to the Philippine media conglomerate, um, ABS-CBN. I think they called it ABC-ZNN here, which I found kind of funny. Um, fun fact, the studio's real-life location also briefly changed their logo to ABC-ZNN um, to the, the same acronym in honor of the series release in the Philippines. So oh, That's cool. Yeah. Um, I think we also see uh, Hank um take a more prominent role here he is the bartender for the diabolical that uh, treze resides in i read that he plays a bigger role in the tv show than in the comic series but i'm curious to know if he is intentionally supposed to look like manny pacquiao <laughs> i'm sure he is even if the creator doesn't acknowledge it i'm sure he is because he looks just like him. Um, yeah, it's it seems like a deliberate character design. And again, maybe to draw in more audience, like the audience to a familiar, like 
Filipino face that's recognized worldwide. Yeah, and I, I really like the bit of humor in this episode with Hank getting all like spruced up for his favorite celebrity. Um, he's another kind of bit of comic relief in this show. Um, he's he's probably the most endearing character, just knowing that you know he really cares about Alexandra and he waited for her um, during the her trial or whatever. Um, she kind he kind of it feels like at least as the story progresses, he he starts to feel a little bit like her uncle maybe. Like I wouldn't mm-hmm. call her like or call him a father figure. But definitely feels like an uncle figure um, to to Alexandra. So I really enjoyed his character, and I, I liked kind of seeing more of him in this episode. But honestly, by this episode three, again, we're halfway through the show at this point. I'm still not sure what the plot is. But the backstory is shaping up. Like we we learned to your point earlier, we learned where the twins came from, um, and we learn more about um, Alexandra's father. And I find the backstory to be really interesting. So it was kind of nice to finally get that level of progression in this show um, instead of just having a bunch of like world building thrown at, at us for the majority of it. Yeah. I think last thing with this is, you know, in Hank's pursuit of impressing um, Nova, his his favorite actress at the, um, of this of this time, he puts on durian smelling cologne. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think it, maybe it's not intentionally durian, but I think or, one of the yeah. twins jokes and says it stinks. It smells like durian. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, n- just another taste of that, you know, Filipino culture. Although I think durian is like a fruit known throughout all of Asia for smelling like shit. Apparently, it tastes delicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, smells like poo poo. <laughs> In episode four, flashback time again, Ramona is stabbed by Datu Talag Busao as he tries to capture his twin sons, but Anton and a young Alexandra send him into the Flying Dutchman's Fly of Despair. In present day, Captain Guerrero tries to handle internal affairs at his police station when the building is overwhelmed by dozens of undead walkers that were resurrected from a nearby cemetery. Alexandra and the Kambal assist in undoing the spell enchanting the walkers, by finding three Philip Infinity Stones, the last of which is held by a cynical prisoner at the police station until Captain Guerrero warms up to him, ending the zombie plotline faster than ten seasons of The Walking Dead ever could. In a subplot, diabolical bartender Hank tries to uncover more details about the impending doomsday that these creatures keep hyping up, but a suicide bomber puts his curiosity to rest as the diabolical goes up in a bola of fire. I'm like, finally, some plot. And not the anime <laughs> waifu type of plot, but some actual story, story-driven story mm-hmm. plot. Um, this is a good episode. And the twins were just on point. They're the highlight of the show for me. Um, so they, they were great to watch. Um, but we're ha- more than halfway through the show at this point, and we're still just discovering that there's a big war or something about to break out among the tribes and that someone may be betraying Alexandra. And then I was like, is it Hank maybe? And then he, you know, fucking maybe dies. And I'm like, well, probably not Hank then. <laughs> um, so yeah, there, as always, there's a lot that happens. But this felt more like a true episode for this show that focused on the story itself. Yeah, I mean, they always are like in the previous episode episodes, they allude to, you know, these accords between the humans and the supernatural creatures like being... Like they're in disarray or they're starting to become imbalanced and 
we're not entirely sure why although this episode i think tries to address it a little bit more so it's nice to get like you said the plot moving forward in in that regard um outside of that i think this episode is just a captain guerrero focused episode kind of highlighting his own desire to be a straight-laced cop amidst like a corrupt police force and government and what does that sound like it sounds like the Philippines in real life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. But I, I was going to say, you know, it's very, again, reminiscent of Gotham City. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, that too. But also yeah. the Philippines. <laughs> <laughs> um, and again, we get a taste of everyday Filipino life as we see Captain Gero's morning routine. And zombies. Yes. <laughs> I feel which... <laughs> like that. I thought that's where you're going to go with it. Like, we get a taste of everyday life in the Philippines filled with yeah, zombies. Every day and you got to face a zombie. Magic stones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but more so in terms of like him getting, you know, food from a vending stand. And I don't know if he actually ever takes the food out, but in my head canon, I'm hoping that it's like fresh pandisal or like taking a jeepney to work, um, which again, it's not something you'd normally see in an animated series, but the way they frame it, it's not like in your face, like, you're watching a travel documentary it's just him simply going about his daily routine here um and i think you know in terms of the undead again that's just supposed to be a metaphor for um the the police kind of acting as vigilantes or acting out of line and this is just vengeance on them for taking these taking these actions um way too far uh Again, I don't want to kind of, I don't want to delve into like the politics of that too much because here we're just f- strictly focused on the story itself. But I think that's just another example of how these supernatural creatures are spun into a way that fits into the real world situation. In episode five, even more flashback time, young Alexandra struggles with accepting the Kambal into her family while Anton tries to quell the fears of the Council of Supernatural, Be- Supernatural Beings who believe that the twins will bring back their dad of war and destroy Zamundo. Flashing forward, the mayor of Manila is up to his anime influence scheming again from behind bars, declaring a war on the underworld whilst orchestrating the recent string of suicide bombings. With the help of a recovering Hank and her ghostly IT friend, Jobert, Alexandra traces the ruckus back to the mayor and asks permission from military general Villar to enter the prison and fuck him up. We are thrown into one more flashback of Alexandra enduring the trials of the great Balete Tri to get her demon-slaying license while Anton dies protecting her, spurring her to take a cue from Mulan's transformation montage in taking up the mantle of Lacan. All Impierno breaks loose at the prison as it is revealed Nuno was aiding the mayor's schemes all along. While the latter plans to rebuild the country in his own twisted image, the former simply wanted to watch the world burn. With the help of her supernatural allies, Alexandra blasts the pair into the unknown, but just when she thinks she's out, General Villar reveals his true identity as Datu Talagbusao, the dad of war intent on stopping Treze and this slew of random flashbacks. Dang, talk about fast-tracking the plot in this episode. Mm-hmm. We jump from antagonist to antagonist with the quickness. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm getting more invested by this point, even though it's episode five, just because we're getting more and more of, of that plot versus just the world building. Um, but I feel like there was also a lot of plot twists in this episode, like one too many plot twists, like, oh shit, 
Nuno is a betrayer and oh shit, the big baddie is back and oh shit, the mayor is actually controlling people and cutting off his stomach and apparently it's on live TV and no one notices that his stomach is all cut off. Actually, yeah, even uh, the first shot where he um, in, in, he forces that prisoner to inject his or eat his flesh, you can see the cut of um, body too. I was like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. <laughs> so there, there's just too many plot twists in this episode. And again, I'll, I'll say it over and over again. It's, it's the delivery that's the problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, slightly the animation as well, but it's the delivery that's the problem with the show. You've got a, a, a pretty strong plot. It's just shoved down your throat in six episodes. Yeah, I guess that's where the anime influence comes in because, you know, anime love plot or like anime series love plot twists and stuff but yeah this is way too rushed to to even comprehend what's going on um i guess the one thing that i do like about this episode is that you know all the quote-unquote cases of the week although the previous ones like they felt like one-offs or you know contained stories they're revealed to have all been connected to the mayor's plan um with i think he lists the ingredients that he needed which is a hair of the Tikbalang, which is from the episode the drag racing episode the ashes of a god which is from the drag racing episode again with alexandra and nuno teaming up to take down kulimlim the bones of the innocent which were taken from the chanak episode with the um filipino star or actress and the Tears of a Sinner, which were taken from the Prisoner episode, um, which was right before this one. Yeah, I agree. I really liked that they brought everything full circle. They they connected or fused together all of these tribes and, and the various antagonists that we came across. It made it feel like everything we spent a couple episodes watching wasn't all for, for no reason. It wasn't just to kind of introduce some some different creatures to you. It's like there's an, a bigger thing at play here, and mm-hmm. all of this was important. If you're not paying attention, you won't understand it kind of thing. And in terms of um, Nuno's betrayal, like, yeah, it was, it was shocking, but it just felt kind of expected. And I think that's just a testament to the folklore of the Duende itself. Like, you're, they're very foolish and hard to read and just very ambiguous in what their allegiances are. Um, but yeah, just his, his explanation for like why he wanted this all to happen was a little bit convoluted and, you know, I'm not sure if in my synopsis, it's just really him wanting to, to just see things fall apart. But again, the show would have just benefited from taking more time to develop these stories and to develop the reasons for why these characters are acting the way that they are. Um, and that Mulan scene had to be intentional yeah, it was like very similar to was, yeah. the scene from Mulan where just all shot felt like shot for shot. Yeah, but again, maybe another homage to another influence on the series. And in the final episode six, how about one more introductory flashback, folks? As a Murray. another one Murray as a young Alexandra grows tired of her new twin siblings shit Anton reminds her that family protect each other a seemingly innocent literary device that conveniently factors into the climax of this final episode Datu Talak Busao and his cronies wage an all-out war against Treze and her human slash underworld allies and manages to telepathically control his Kambal sons in apprehending Alexandra here, the Datu outlines a very lengthy TED Talk where he explains how Alexandra was prophesied to bring about an impending apocalypse 
with her twin sister to allow the Datu to reset the world, but her father Anton sought to circumvent the prophecy by killing her sister and setting up the Accords and the Supernatural Council for his own interest. The Datu forces Alexandra to accept her destiny, but through a sacrifice play by Captain Guerrero and with the power of family or friendship, she snaps Crispian and Basilio out of their manipulation and sends the dead of war through a dragon's gate to eternal damnation created by her dagger, Sinag, forged out of her sister's remains. Alexandra herself tumbles with the Datu through the portal and ends up back at the Great Balete Tree, reflecting on the events of the past six episodes until her sister Sinag somehow calls out to her with a Filipino Tadaima in a post credit scene, a mysterious apparition seemingly of Far East descent terrorizes some dock workers and perches atop a temple on the prowl for Treze's whereabouts. Same here, sister, because who knows if Netflix will also chuck this show through a dragon's gate to nowhere. Dangina. Holy shit, talk about a lore dump. Like, yes. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> this was my favorite episode because this is all the shit that I've been waiting for. Like, I'm fine with like one or two episodes that you know, do the world building that introduce a couple of interesting things and then kind of like, you know, moves into the plot. But this is everything that I was waiting for for all six episodes crammed into one episode. Mm -hmm. Again, the lore is super interesting and I'm actually kind of invested in this plot, but I had to wait six episodes before getting all of this information. And it was like, my God, like it was it was good, but it was just so much. So again, this could have benefited from way more episodes like I like seeing the extensive world and the skills and everything in the show, but I don't know. Like, do I have time to process it? Like, yeah. I feel like I don't. And also, the big baddie, who again, I can't remember his fucking name. What is it? Datu Talagbusao. Yeah, the twins' dad. <laughs> <laughs> the dad of war. The dad of war. He came and went in one episode. He's supposed to be mm. the big baddie. They took all that time to explain who he was and how dangerous he is in the flashbacks. And then he came and went in episode six. And not only that, but the way that they got rid of him was such a fucking cop out twice now, not mm -hmm. just once, but twice. They just send his ass into another realm. They isekai the shit out of his ass. <laughs> Who knows where he's going to end up? And it's very likely, you know, quote unquote plot twist. He'll show up again later in the story. If we even mm -hmm. get any more of this story. And I'm like, why she had alexander had more trouble taking down the fucking like mare who's chopping up his stomach and feeding people with it than getting rid of this guy it was just so crazy to me and i know i'm like i'm exaggerating to a certain extent he obviously was a tough um you know a tough villain for them to go up against but instead of trying to rid the world of him and any future threat they're like i'm gonna throw you into this dragon's gate and then if you show back up i guess i'll deal with you later <laughs> Yo, listening to you rant about that, this this cop out of how Alexander was able to defeat Datu Talagbusao reminds me of the rise of Skywalker <laughs> with how um, Rey's, spoiler alert, uh, Rey defeats the Emperor with just putting two lightsabers together. Yeah. And it's funny because um, I think in, in the movie, Rey declares like, I am all the Jedi. And then I'm pretty sure here, Alexander declares that I am a Treze, which, you know, gives her that oomph to finally take down the Datu. Because I guess, you know, with her being such a significant character in this prophecy, probably gives her, like, some hidden magical power. I don't know. Um, but, but it's also kind of like, okay, why spend all that time 
telling us about the prophecy and like, I mean, mm-hmm. literally it was just like 90% of this episode was, at least it felt like 90% of this episode was um, the dad like explaining the truth to Alexandra and to the, to the viewer. Mm-hmm. And I'm no. like, if you're not going to have a season two, if you're not going to take the time to like, at least kind of maybe pepper this throughout the show like why even bother telling us and i'm sure part of it too is like getting viewers to be interested enough so that they'll actually go read the comic and bring some revenue to the creator by having more comic sales Mm -hmm. um but to me it's just also like i did i need to know any of this like i would rather just know about the the dad like the the bad dad not 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 alexandra's dad but like the evil dad the dad of war (laughs) the dad of war like i'd rather just know about him and maybe his relationship with his sons um and then just kind of have that be it and then maybe if there's like a second season start to dive more into anton and like the prophecy and how he did some questionable things as well because now you're dumping all this information on me Mm -hmm. and i'm like well what do i get out of it there's no payoff right there's no payoff yeah. at all because Alexandra is surprised by this news, but immediately is like, well, you're trying to spin it in a way that makes him sound like a bad guy, but really he did some good things. He would just he was just forced to make some tough choices. And so then she like doesn't even have an internal conflict with it. She just immediately brushes it off. So I'm like, what what is the what is the point? Right? Like what's the point? Yeah. The note I wrote here about this episode is it's the most quote unquote anime episode of the series with all of these fantasy action sequences and that big big plot reveal about alexander's true background but to your point like i think this episode is a prime example of what the show suffers from the most um is just the pacing like you said like there's delivery yeah yeah the pacing and the delivery because you have like this very cliched villain monologue that just absorbs a good chunk of the episode's running time and you know it would have jived better if it didn't feel like this revelation was hastily crammed in to move along towards the climax and listening to what you're saying it would have been nice to have like dot the dot to like drop this like huge bombshell but then we have to find out more about it next season and then have him be like the main focus of that season or to some of our earlier examples again like this is another episode that feels like two episodes worth of content crammed into one Mm -hmm. have one episode in true anime formula fashion have the episode right before a climactic battle just be purely a backstory episode making you wait one more episode to actually see that climactic battle um so anyway have one episode be dedicated to that and then have a second episode dedicated to actually defeating the the dad of war which Mm -hmm. then would have made that battle feel more um like there was more weight to it or that there was more at, at at stake there versus just throw him in a fucking tunnel yeah and that was my next point is like in the flashback we're shown that alexandra goes through they call it the trials of the ballet tree and like why aren't we shown that in detail like that itself could have been its own episode yeah and we literally see nothing about the tree we yeah, see her come in and we see her come back out yeah it would have been like an intriguing insight to you know how Lacan's successors like what they have to go through before taking up that mantle because i'm sure it they're difficult challenges but we never get to see that as the viewer um she's gone for five fucking years yeah <laughs> like holy shit something must have happened there <laughs> Although I think, you know, it, it, time is relative, so she thinks it's only a couple of days on the tree. But again, that's... She said it felt like 100 years. Oh, did you? I thought it was like a... To her, it felt like a shorter time, but then Hank tells her like, oh, you've been gone for five years. Well, 
Oh, I thought it was the opposite. I, I thought she came out and was like, how long oh. have I been gone? He's like, five years. And she's like, it felt like a hundred. I could mm-hmm. be wrong. I don't know. We'll mm-hmm. have to go back and rewatch it. But yeah, I guess regardless, like that is such a significant event in her life. Like, why aren't we seeing what happens in there? Unless they're like saving that for a future episode, if this ever gets a second or any more subsequent seasons. And another thing, um, the show just glosses over the people that are with Anton before she begins those trials like are they family members are they previous lakan yeah who the fuck are those are people are they jojos <laughs> <laughs> like there's no context given at all and another thing that i don't know if this episode properly addresses but was it anton who established the council and the accords or were these like in place for decades or centuries i don't know that's yeah. a good question <laughs> So, yeah, there's a lot of unanswered questions here, but, again, the show just throws it at you and just says, take it, and then they run away. <laughs> <laughs> and then they run away, yeah. They, they take your money and run. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess to comment on your earlier point about, like, what purpose does this serve, Alexandra? I think the idea here with, you know, the Datu dropping this information bomb is to kind of bring up the theme of destiny, kind of like JoJo, like, the destiny of the Joe stars. I would have um, rather him just tease it. Kind of like how they tease like, oh, someone among your, your allies is a liar or is a traitor. I'd rather that dad of war just be like, there's more to your destiny than you realize. And then mm-hmm. we learn more about that in a second season or yeah. by reading the comics. Not that we do that because we're not manga readers, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we, we just get it here all in this like 10 minute Ted talk. Um, but I guess um, to kind of, think about or think it through um with destiny taking the twins as an example as an example like crispin and basilio are descendants of this this horrible deity of war and violence but we learn that they were able to renounce these violent ways of their father um, despite the blood relation because anton welcomed them with open arms again regardless of how people felt about them or how they felt that they were a risk because Anton believed like there was still good in them um, and that eventually they would become family. And I guess in a similar manner, like we learned that Alexandra is an embodiment of this, this prophecy about the sixth child of the sixth child. So she was fated to bring about destruction and doom. Um, but she still makes the conscious choice to continue her work as this liaison, maintaining the balance between humanity and the supernatural, no matter how much each tribe of creatures like doubts her abilities. Um, one question I had was like, was Anton in the right in deciding not to allow his daughter to just succumb to her, her fate? Kind of like, uh, would you kill a baby Hitler situation? But I think as a father, I'm sure he would just want what was best for his daughter Although he didn't want what was best for the other daughter. That's the the elephant in the room is like he allegedly killed her, her twin sister, Sinag, which like apparently like she is embodied in the dagger. I don't know what that means. If they're like, if it was forged from her remains or if like it's her spirit that's living on in this dagger. But yeah, that's kind of what I took from this whole thing, this whole conversation between the Datu and with Alexandra. But Again, we get this kind of rush job of a climax, and then we have even more unanswered questions uh, towards the end of the episode. Um, 
right before the post credits, obviously Alexandra ends up back at the balete tree. And then we hear, I think it's supposed to be her sister telling her that like Alex were home. And, you know, that just leaves a big cliffhanger. Like where was the sister this whole time? Or is it because she's back in this realm of the tree? Like she's able to finally connect with her. So that's a lingering question that who knows if that'll get answered in a future season. And then the big cliffhanger is who the fuck was that? What was that thing at the very end in the post credits? Yeah. Okay. With that, like, I don't know what the fuck all that was about, but clearly it's some sort of teaser either, you know, for getting people to read the comic, like let's entice them further um, so that they go and venture over that way. Or it's a, a hint that Netflix is planning a season two question mark. I mean, what do you mm-hmm. think? Do you realistically think that Netflix will green light this for a season two? Yeah. I mean, uh, but as of the time of this recording, Netflix hasn't made any announcements regarding Therese, which is kind of funny. Cause you know, where the house husband, um, I think it comparatively got negative or more negative reviews than Therese, but they immediately announced the season two for that. Yeah, but to be fair, the animation... So we're talking to how, how little frames there are per mm-hmm. minute in Trece. There was like a fucking PowerPoint presentation for Way of the House yeah. Husband. So the budget must be like non-existent at that point in terms of it just being so low and so easy mm-hmm. to pump out a second season real quick. But like I said, just based on how much this is... How much this show is trending in social media... And with its performance on the streaming service itself, it seems likely that they'll go into a season two. Um, I don't know if this series was kind of meant as a promotion for the comic series itself. I know like in anime, you see that a lot where you get these series that are just one season and then it just forces you to to read the manga the rest of the way. Oh, yeah. Like, you get that all the time in romance, slice of life anime all mm-hmm. the time. But I think here I was reading that the show actually it deviates a little bit from the the comic series. So I don't know if with this cliffhanger ending, if people would be able to pick up the the comic from there um, unless they were to just start from the very beginning. So, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that we do get a season two. Um, again, the, the climax was a little bit rushed, but, um, and we'll probably go into this in our final thoughts, which are just about to happen really soon. But I just hope like they, they do take more time with the material um, rather than cram it again into like five or six episodes. And with that, let's go ahead and dive into our final thoughts for Netflix's Treze. So how many Tabi Tabi Pos out of 10 would you give this anime or anime-influenced series? I would give it... Right, I'm going to think in terms of like my anime list ratings um so i would give this a six um it was enjoyable but it could have been so much better we've been beating it like a dead horse or whatever the saying is at this point if they had just doubled up the amount of episodes the delivery and the pacing those things probably would have been either non-issues or very little issues um, I think that alone, that alone would have drastically improved my overall rating on this show. It wouldn't have made it perfect. There are other things, you know, that I think cause the show to falter a little bit. But I think it would have been a huge, huge jump forward if they just 
spend a little more time Netflix mm-hmm. on developing the show and giving it more episodes than you have been for a lot of the recent releases. What the hell are you doing, Netflix? <laughs> Please stop doing this. Um, but yeah, I, again, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I really enjoy the lore, the, the story, the, the folklore itself, the characters, not all of them, most of them. Um, and I would be interested in watching a season two and I would keep my fingers crossed that it hit, it has a proper amount of episodes. Um, so that way we can explore all of the shit that they dumped on us in that last episode. Cause there's a lot that we have to kind of. I don't know, process, mm-hmm. figure out. Um, so yeah, I think that it had a lot of potential. It didn't quite live up to that potential, but it could have with better decisions. What about you? Yeah, I would give Treze seven and a half Tabi Tabi Pols out of 10. Dang. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of you would have thought, oh, 10 out of 10. Just <laughs> it's Filipino and it's great. But, you know, it's a commendable outing for a series based on a franchise or like folklore outside of your typical anime features although we've beat this to or beat this to a pulp already like whether or not we can classify treze as an anime is still up for debate um in regards to the main character herself you know despite her ever brooding personality i think um, alexandra is a strong protagonist with a very intriguing backstory and very intriguing future ahead of her and I hope that we continue to see more of her pursuit to maintain this fragile peace between the real and the mythical world and uncover more of her past and what makes her so significant in this world. Um, the incorporation of Filipino folklore and mythology obviously is all very intriguing. And as I commented earlier, at first it feels like a villain of the week format with the show until you see these cases become interconnected with the surprise twists in episode five and six. The downside is that the show falls upon a lot of typical anime or fantasy cliches, especially like this chosen one prophecy. And as Courtney has mentioned, as as we've beat this to a pulp as well, like the show could have just benefited from a longer episode count and just better pacing towards the later half of the season. And I again, I don't know why Netflix has this mentality of believing five or six episodes is good enough for their anime or for their series. But thinking about this in the bigger picture, as with shows like Tower of God or God of High School, as much of a poor audience reception as those got, hopefully shows like Treze, you know, continue to open doors for anime or anime influenced adaptations of stories outside of Japan, um, because I'm sure. There is a wealth of folklore, culture, and maybe even you know comic series in in other countries that would be deserving of a an adaptation within the visual style of Japanese anime. So I don't know if Netflix is the right place for that. Again, be, just because of their their creative and their marketing strategy. But you know, I I would be I would love to see like. Well, like a Lao folklore anime influence series or like a, a Dutch one. <laughs> <laughs> a Dutch one. <laughs> so. Well, it's good that we got to have this. Um, if you're in the camp of like this is not anime, then it's good we got to have this special 
review episode of Strictly Anime to talk about something that is a little outside of the scope of anime. I'm in that camp that it's not anime, so that's why I'm going to say that. Mm-hmm. But if you are in the camp that it is anime, hey, it fits our, our theme then. We're Strictly Anime. We're going to talk about anime. We're Strictly Anime asterisk <laughs> for, this, for this episode. I'm sure this... Is, so it's, it's the first, but I'm sure it will not be the last time that we, you know, stray a bit from our typical anime reviews and move into something that's slightly more unique but still related still related i'm just eager to see those crispin basilio body pillows oh my god (laughs) we'll see pop up on etsy or ebay yeah we need more husbando body pillows although to be fair okay side tangent there's a lot of husbando body pillows popping up it used to be all like waifus all the cute anime girls Mm. but i've noticed there's like a lot of like male body pillows popping up and the only reason the only reason i know that is well two reasons one i venture on reddit and you know you got like the animemes type subreddits and you see that shit on there but then also during christmas as a gag gift i was looking into body pillows for a white elephant and when i typed in body pillows it was like 90 percent male and like 10 <laughs> percent female so anyway yes to your point who knows maybe there'll be a Crispin and Basilio body pillow set so you can have your husbandos with you every night. I would be all over that. Would you? <laughs> <laughs> I, would I you? love the twins. They're, they're great. You, you get a body pillow? What if they had like a figure of them? Maybe both. Oh, okay. We shall see. <laughs> and that wraps up episode 40 of Strictly Anime. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly Series and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every Monday. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series and connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com to share your thoughts on the anime that we review or the non-anime that we review. <laughs> You'll also find more info on Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. Netflix.